Hello, and thank you for listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. Hi guys, I'm Joshua, producer for Living Wealthy Radio. Today's interview is rather unique in that it impacts pretty much everyone who owns a home. The more we dig into standard practices in the mortgage industry, the more evidence we find of fraud, theft, uh, deceit, and it's running rampant. It goes on right under our noses, in fact. When you signed your mortgage at closing, that document may have been fraudulent without your even knowing it. You may think, well, I can't lose my home because, hey, I'm not behind on my payments or anything, right? Wrong. Because of the way the banksters wheel and deal with our mortgages under the table, you could be foreclosed on even if you've never missed a payment. It's happened before. This conversation starts off kind of slow and at times gets a little technical, but hang in there to the end because we get into some of the older and newer tricks that lenders have used in the past and are currently using to potentially cost you your home. And most importantly, we talk about how to find out if your mortgage is affected and what to do about it. Today's enriching fact of the day is that the power of persuasion is literally in the palm of your hand. It turns out how you position your palms when you shake hands and gesture can actually influence your audience positively or negatively. Alan Pease, known as Mr. Body Language, is a sales communication researcher and honorary professor of psychology at ULIM International University. He tells of a fascinating study conducted on audiences observing the same presentation with only one difference. In the first presentation, the speaker used palm-up gestures. On the second crowd, the speaker used palm-down gestures. For the third audience, the speaker used a pointed finger with the palm essentially closed. Crowd participants described the speaker as open, friendly, and engaging when he held his palms up to gesture. They also demonstrated 40% better retention of what he had presented. However, the palm down and closed palm finger pointing gestures resulted in less retention and descriptions of intimidating, domineering, and demanding. Alan Pease also points out that handshakes that are overly firm and with the palm angled down typically communicate dominance and negative energy. But a moderately firm handshake with both hands equally vertical usually communicates respect and mutual cooperation. The brain receives a lot of information from a simple handshake. In fact, there are more connections back to the brain from the palm of your hand than from any other body part. Today's enriching fact reveals that persuasion and relationship building start with subtle body language. Even something as simple as your palm can change how you're perceived and how successfully you interact with others. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. There are so many business leaders, entrepreneurs, and employees who are unaligned and therefore spinning their wheels. The result is a loss of productivity and burnout. Virtually all companies, big and small, are underachieving their maximum potential. And why? 
Well, because they lack the tools, the information, the accountability to achieve meaningful objectives. That's why here at Living Wealthy Radio, we love Business Finishing School, or BFS. They provide you with the tools, strategies, and information you need to run your business more effectively and efficiently. This simplifies your processes and maximizes your potential. The first year alone teaches you the 12 foundation principles of business to immediately streamline your business and begin seeing results. Plus, there are three more years of powerful material on top of that to finish out a complete business education. Let your business brain finish what your entrepreneurial heart started. The power is in the simplicity. For more information on BFS, visit businessfinishingschool.com. Joining us today is Rob West. He's a financial strategist with extensive experience fighting LIBOR fraud and the mayor's mortgage scheme. His exposure of rampant mortgage fraud actually allowed him to stop paying on his own mortgage, and he's going to fill us on how this bizarre game the banksters play with our lives. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio, Rob. Thank you, Teresa. Glad to be here. So for those in our audience unfamiliar with the term, can you explain just what MERS is, and is it a real company? Indeed, I'll do that, Um, and maybe a little preface here. Um, What I'm doing now isn't nearly as involved with what I was doing four years ago, but I send some thanks to your producer, and uh, I'm working on a book on this topic, by the way, but when it comes to MERS, M-E-R-S, um, which is a lot of people have heard about, MERS Corp. Inc., which is now known as MERS Corp. Holdings, Inc. is um, is definitely a, a company, and they have a subsidiary company called the Mortgage Electronic Registration System. So uh, they they do definitely exist in reality, but uh, when we get into talking about uh, mortgage electronic uh, registration system Inc., I'll share some things with you that's pretty unusual for any other corporation to have uh, <laughs> having in their boardroom, let's put it that way. Well, let's go yes, ahead and start with what it's about. Well, you know, um, this goes back a long ways. And uh, in my experience in the past uh, as a stockbroker on with some major Wall Street firms way back in the day, I used to sell mortgage-backed securities, and, and uh, they were insured and AAA rated. And, but moving forward, in the banking system, which in our country stems from the Federal Reserve and that central banking system, mortgages have been very profitable. And um, what people are looking for, uh, do they have a, a legitimate mortgage or not, I found more than likely they don't, but it's not based on the MERS story. I do know the MERS story very well because I've had an audit done on my mortgage the mortgage, and uh, it's actually in my wife's name uh, on one of the properties we have here in Colorado. <clears throat> but um, the mortgage electronic registration system that people refer to can be identified if your mortgage is subject to that. If you look at the lower right-hand corner of your mortgage document, you'll probably see an 18-digit uh, number there. And that is an identifier. 
and that will trace your mortgage all the way through the steps, which is the purpose of MERS uh, to bring it through to the securitization process. So uh, the majority of the mortgages that I've seen in the last 15 years or so are related to the MERS story. Is this true of more recent mortgages? Well, I haven't researched it much for a few years, and I can tell you more about my particular story um, in, here in a minute. But here I, I came to a fork in my research on what was going on with this. And if you stay with the MERS arguments and looking for things that are problematic with your loan because it was handled by MERS and their electronic system, that stays in civil court, the statutory area. Typically, you need a good attorney that knows the system of court and everything that they can help you with. There's really not that many real good attorneys uh, that knows the whole story, I found. Uh, but I do have a connection that uh, can help in that regard. But you're going to stay in the, in the civil side. What I found with LIBOR took me over to research the criminal code. And it's completely different than uh, the MERS side. But most people, if they have a MERS loan, look for that identifying number and then uh, get connected up with someone that knows how to do a chain of title assessment. And it will sequence what happened to the loan since you signed off on it at the closing table and there on out. And uh, so that would be the first step is see if you have a MERS loan, if you're interested in looking into it. I've, I had a business partner here in Denver, Sherry Peterson, and I tried to help a lot of people. And uh, usually people are getting tossed from their home and faced with this stuff. More than 90% of the people just said, well, you're right, I was behind, and they just go away and don't fight it. Uh, but I took it these other steps, and as we get into the conversation, maybe I can share a little bit more with you. So basically, what does it mean for the consumer, from the consumer perspective, to have a loan that's, got, um, that's gone through the MERS process? MERS was designed by the banks to electronically transfer information and documents. And the reason they did that is because they were rapidly throwing loans left and right. And if you remember the term, you know, liar loans, no doc loans, Falkamere, get a loan. In the mid 2000s, from 2000 forward for the next eight or nine years, the market was very strong and we were economically doing very well. So there was an opportunity from the creators of money, central bankers, down through their lending arms to do as many loans as possible. So Morris was set up to electronically transmit, which would speed the process along. And in that process, a number of things went wrong. And loans were approved and went on through securitization that didn't even have the proper documentation from the closing table. So you may have heard of DOCX and uh, <laughs> where documents were notarized and manufactured because companies like DOCX would hire college kids 
sign signatures and ship them to a different department and have those notarized. I mean, completely against what you would know be proper handling. But MERS was effectively orchestrating these these processes about this paperwork. And it got to the point where, where things needed to be done, and it hasn't been done, even bank employees for like Wells Fargo or Chase or one of the major banks would suddenly appear as a vice president for MERS and sign the documents on behalf of MERS. And they were employed by MERS. <laughs> but if you look at the documentation and it's so confusing, that these things just took over and the normal processing and time taking. One of the documents that I have on my own case when I was still in the MERS phase was created in California and same day notarized in North Carolina. Hmm. I really wasn't sure how they could do that. <laughs> you know, here appeared before me personally was and how can you do that? So that's an example. And so MERS was designed to streamline those things. So unfortunately, when people have problems, a lot of time I find they got into the mortgages because they were so easy to get and there was probably predatory lending that occurred as well as a number of other things. But at the end of the day, they didn't, they wouldn't have any money to fight it anyway. So the lender, whoever that might be at the end of the day, shows up and says they're, they're going to take your property. To me, that's grand theft real estate. But if you don't have the time, effort, or money to be able to, to fight that, it's just unfortunate. Got it. Okay. So do you think this the MERS fraud process occurred more in the 2000s because there was so much real estate financing that was going on and today's processes and systems are different or do you think it's still going on today? Well, I know a lot has been remedied, they say, but I really don't know in the last few years I haven't been involved in that, but a good friend of mine has a company in Florida and he's well entrenched as a paralegal to prepare attorneys go to court with this information and uh, he's Dave Krieger is his name and he's just excellent bulldog at knowing this stuff matter of fact I went to his classes in a few different cities and learned how to do my own chain of title assessment and I also went beyond that after I did the I did Dakota and I had an audit done from a fellow on the Northwest he was out of uh, the Seattle area got a super job in his audit. He called me up and he says, you can't believe what happened. Now I'm going to tell you a quick story if I could. I had, once the chain of title assessment was done, then I had another approach to the audit done by a private detective agency. And he called me and he said, the loan that you originated in 2000 was to be sent to Wall Street to be securitized. I'd mentioned to you or your producer, I think, when this happens, there's a trust in, that's involved in all of them that I know of are under New York state law. You know, imagine the trust is a box. and They get so many loans in this box and then it has to close at a certain date. 
and it's because it's a tax-neutral entity, and the trust sells individual pieces to investors who the investors are then responsible for the tax. Point is, trust is shut, closed off, can't go in, trustee can't do anything with it. So usually 90 days or so that the trust closes and then other trusts come in play to pick up other loans and all this. The loan I had didn't reach the trust for eight years. <laughs> so because MERS is behind this with the electronic transfer, they can facilitate selling loans to one bank and another bank very quickly and there's no record of it really being owned except here the bank, if Rob West Bank sold it to Teresa Kuhn Bank, then you pick up all the interest payments and you know in the early years of an amortized mortgage of 25 or 30 years, it's, it's all interest. And so it's very attractive. So the interest rate gain and trading bonds started. One bank would sell to the other for a capital gain. The other bank would be happy to pay. Meanwhile, everybody thinks it's in the trust. And they think the box is closed. So I did a number of things, and one of which is I found out the trustee's name, and I wrote them a letter and suggested that what I knew they were doing, I was more than happy to tip off the IRS. Because if that was investigated, every loan in that trust would be invalidated. And the trustee's under major, 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 major problem. That was just one infraction, but that's one of the things that could happen, did happen to us with MERS, see? And I'm telling you, almost no one knows about this. And you try to take it to court, it's a complete education experience to get to a judge, you know? I mean, who would think this? And then you got the bankers lying on their side of everything. Even caught red-handed with foreclosure mills preparing documents and notarizing them as if they existed five years ago. I mean, they, it's, it's just crazy stuff. But <clears throat> that's just one of the problems in the money system, but it's a big one. And uh, so if I can help people understand some things very quickly and maybe get them on the right direction, I'd be happy to share some information with them. But that's just the MERS side. I got mine my satisfaction on the LIBOR side. So before we go to LIBOR, just a couple other things with the MERS. What is something practical that the listeners can do if they've got a MERS, um, a mortgage that's involved in the MERS process? Does this really impact them, or is it really for people who can't make their mortgage payments and they are at risk of losing their home? Uh, good question, good question. <clears throat> Frankly, the loan itself shouldn't have gone beyond the closing table, and so the instrument itself is damaging. Um, but nobody cares, nobody's looking at that. If you do try to take it to court for whatever reason, we weren't behind on our payments or anything. I just heard about this, and I was doing research, and I wanted to take it on. But so many people are just behind and they have trouble. But no matter who you are, you stay in statutory courtside and the judge does not want to give you a free house for any reason. So you've got an uphill battle. You can find violations with the Truth in Lending Act and you know, various other things. 
that probably were a problem with your loan too. So maybe get some remedy. At first, I reached out to the lenders and I said, "Look, I, here's my premise on I have problems with this mortgage. Explain it to my satisfaction, or offer me a different loan." I wasn't trying to get out of paying it, but ultimately, that's what happened because they didn't want to deal with me anymore because I had eight years worth of bad bad stuff on them, quite frankly. But so I'm not encouraging people to try to get out of their obligations. They're not honor up to, you know, what they legitimately look for, uh, you know, to acquire any kind of property. But um, I found a huge satisfaction going into the LIBOR side of it. So I stayed there, and I didn't. I did have a couple of suits filed in federal district court here in Denver myself. And uh, so I know about that side of the thing, but really – where I got satisfaction was on the LIBOR side, and it was on the criminal side, not civil. But uh, if, if people want to look into it, fine, you know. And, but if they're doing okay and just don't want to rough the waters with anything, that's okay too. Uh, but I, I was seeing people getting tossed out of their houses, and the more I looked into things, I, I knew they were being taken advantage of. And <clears throat> that's a bad business model because they're usually not people that can afford anything, and they're usually not real savvy in business terminology and so forth. It was, you know, and everyone has the same story. This is why I'm in this problem and this and that and stuff. Anyway, it was, it was, uh, we did, we weren't involved in that business very long. So I think the original question was, you know, should they do something about a MERS loan or not? Well, be prepared. There are some cases involving MERS where, some bank you've never heard of might send you a notice that they're foreclosing on your property, and it's because MERS got your loan screwed up someplace two years ago and nobody could find it. And some bank you never heard of decides it's theirs, and they go after your house. Unless you can prove different, they'll take it. Even if they're making payments. Arizona. Yeah. It's as if... She's like, well, I've been making payments. The guy says, well, no, i got legal title to this. You haven't been making payments to me. I mean, I, when I read about those cases, I was like, are you kidding me? So, yeah, MERS can cause you problems. <laughs> you know, they're back there swapping paper, pulling switches, and doing emails and all that stuff so fast. If you do things, you end up in the right inbox and the right institution or something. I mean, apparently what happened, this is a case I think is probably still reviewable. It came out of Arizona. And, uh, if, you know, if you... Most people write, you know, run on a pretty tight budget, and so you're making good payments, and all of a sudden you get a foreclosure notice from a bank you never heard of, and, and then you ignored it because it's obviously not true, and the next thing you know, the sheriff shows up, and he tells you it's true, and you got 30 days. You know, that's what happened to these folks. Crazy, crazy. Well, then let's talk about LIBOR. What is LIBOR fraud, and... What does it have to do with in the entire mirror scheme, so to speak? Interesting. Uh, the mirror story is fast transaction uh, problems. And the LIBOR is stands for the London Interbank Offer Rate. And there are a lot of interbank offered rates, but LIBOR is the largest, been around the longest, and it's used as a benchmark or 
making security instruments from student loans, credit cards, car loans, mortgages. If LIBOR is used to set that rate and the LIBOR rate was manipulated, then that means that document, that instrument you have, not by my definition, but by the definition of the Department of Justice and the FBI convictions, it is a counterfeit document. So I took that approach. And uh, so LIBOR is, people may not know, but around the world, banks settle up like every 24 hours. So LIBOR is set up to make a loan interest rate fair to all the major banks for an overnight loan. But LIBOR interest rates are set for a 24-hour loan all the way up to a one-year loan. But it's primarily for one bank to lend to the other overnight. And in 2008, when the party was over financially, the banks didn't loan to anybody. But they continue to state LIBOR every day. It happens every day at 11 o'clock in Europe and London where up to 18 banks submit what they feel their interest rate would be based on their view of the safety of the world. That's basically what it is. And uh, that LIBOR rate now influenced over $370 trillion in other financial instruments. So it's a big problem out there. What I found was the FBI and the Department of Labor coordinated. And when you go into the criminal side of law, you'll see that under 18, uh, Title 18, Section 371, you're more than likely a victim of a crime because the crime was committed and prosecuted because they, they manufactured a different rate overseas, sent it to the United States, which was the problem, and you ended up with a loan based off of what was created overseas. And by the criminal code, that makes that interest rate counterfeit for anything it touches. So I had a lot of fun with that one. And uh, it, it took me quite a while, but at the end of the day, I just got a letter that said November in November 2014 that this loan has been satisfied and it was a copy of the release from Douglas County, Colorado of the interest secured on the property. And <laughs> what is this? Well, sure enough, I, I frankly put up so much information to them that they didn't want to deal with me anymore, and they just said it's satisfied. And it wasn't forgiven. It's not subject to tax, but it was satisfied. So it just went away. <laughs> Interesting thing. I said, look, guys, because this was a criminal act, we're not done here because I have criminal damages. So they didn't want to talk to me about any of that. So uh, right now it's sitting there. It, it's been satisfied. And other things have occurred since then, and um, maybe part for another show, but in the uh, Southern District Court of New York, there's a class action suit. There's a number of them, actually, and I'm a, a participant in one of those because it's based on the same LIBOR fraud, except the majority of the participants in this class action in New York are major banks suing other major banks because they got taken advantage of because of the LIBOR fraud, and their interest 
payments on derivatives and so forth were not the correct payments. But I was it was open, so I joined the class, and I'm waiting for them to get back to me on if I'm in the class or not. Um, I think it was the Royal Bank of Scotland was the first one. They ponied up I don't know how many million dollars to make restitution out of that case. And then they were also the first one that started ratting on the other bank. So that's what created the sequence of now class action suits. But uh, it's a complicated thing. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's what happened with me. And uh, so I'm now on to other things with my practice and, the, and all that. But uh, just because you have a mortgage, and like you said earlier, Teresa, it was a very good comment, like, should I be worried about it? I don't know if you should be or not. Odds are, you know, people get in and out of their homes in, what, three to seven years anyway. You know, so just if you're on the MERS thing and you're worried about that, maybe you won't have any problems and things will just sail as normal. But you could be surprised because you really don't know who owns your loan. And uh, that's what that chain of title assessment will do for you. And then to go on and get the... Uh, mortgage loan on it like I did and then right from the closing table while the ink was still wet you'll see everything about your loan where it went who has it what happened to this and that and then you could decide if you need to or want to take any further action but at least you have the material so is that the first step is the the MERS um, mortgage analysis, and then you can consider whether you go after them for the LIBOR? Most people seem to be comfortable in civil court uh, and, you know, to put a civil complaint, let's say. So if they take it far enough, you, you file a civil suit, and then, you know, it has to go through the court process. But if you're concerned about that, take a look at your mortgage, see if you can find those 18 identifying numbers that they're usually on the front page lower right hand side and that's the number that MERS will use to track your loan through all the paces they put it through <clears throat> so the chain of title assessment is the first step um, and then I would uh, whoever is interested through your show I would share with them the website to go to if they want to get the mortgage loan audit and uh, I think both of them are very valuable. But the, the first step would be the chain of title assessment. And you might find out there's not a problem at all. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to encourage people. Uh, but uh, it's particularly aggravating when I was trying to help people that I knew were taken advantage of. And frankly, they were subject to having grand theft real estate. And I appeared at the FBI office in Denver, county sheriff's offices, uh, the attorneys for the counties. I sent your producer a copy of the criminal complaint I used that was served to the governor, the sheriff, all the parties, the attorney general of the state, the attorney general of the United States. And one attorney did tell me that uh, there's something called do a doctrine of harm and in public interest. And if what I said was true, it likely wouldn't be heard in any kind of court. If it did make it to a court, if there was any decision, it would likely be hung with a gag order because if the whole financial system of the United States went the way of 
the Warmar Republic in Germany, there would be no confidence and it would be bad for the whole economy. So this guy didn't want to talk to me at all. He was a friend. You know, that's why he told me this stuff. But uh, anyway, I, I'm, I've been doing financial things for 45 years and this was just one of them that I wanted to uh, take advantage of and I was happy where it came out, but I'm not done with it yet because they wouldn't admit anything with my inquiry. And depending on what comes out of a class action suit in New York, I'll know what direction to take it next if I want to to pursue uh, criminal damages. If you're a senior citizen, you got other damages that rolls into these things too. You know, you have a law degree, right, Teresa? I do. And, you know, so, I mean, a lot of people don't like to read this stuff. I mean, you know, if, if you're blessed to go through and get a law degree in that, I mean, I know the hours you spend, and but a lot of people just don't like to read that stuff, particularly a commonplace person, you know, that's just, they're doing other things with their life. But uh, a good background and knowledge of that is really necessary to get a good good feel about what I what I'm sharing with you so if you have a MERS loan you could have some problems whether you know it or not odds are it was created with tainted money and so there could be a LIBOR argument there too but I'm not trying to encourage anyone to make a big issue out of it but it's completely within your right to do that so I mean it's completely within your right so where would someone do the chain of title assessment? I would call Dave Krieger in Florida or look at his website. Clouded titles. Clouded titles. Okay. Uh-huh. And so that would be what get they would a lot would of start. information there. And as far as the rest of the business that you've got in your website. Um, my site is still in the making, and you won't find anything there on this topic. Like I say, it's when I pretty much finished up a lot of it in 2014. I even two thirds of the way through the book. But if anyone's interested to connect with me through your show, I'll share with them some things that I have if they want to take it whatever step they want to. Uh, but I I'm, I've got other projects on the. That I'm working on now, and so I really don't do that kind of work. But uh, uh, if they want to look into it. I know a lot of people that are still—that's what they do for a business—and I'd be happy to share information about that. Got it. Got it. Very good. Well, thank you, Rob, so much for coming on Living Wealthy Radio to share with us this really amazing story of um, really the background of what's going on in the mortgage industry, what most people who own a house have no idea, right, of the fraud behind the, the mortgages. I think back in 2007, 2008, through about 2012, when there were so many foreclosures, there were stories of people trying to um, not lose their home, and there were providers out there who were looking at the chain of title uh, and fighting all sorts of issues around MERS. But it's a, it's a topic that really I haven't heard too much about in the last uh, three or four years, probably because the economy is better and not as many people are losing their homes. But it's fascinating that the problem was never really solved. It was just, you know, put aside and 
uh, it's still going on today. And if we have another correction in the market, if people, um, you know, foreclosures um, start uh, being an issue again for many people, it's good to know that there is um, processes and providers out there that could help people um, perhaps keep their home because of the fraud. Well, you're right, and I'll, I'll say this. It's an unregulated industry if you're not dealing with an attorney. Uh, and we've kissed a lot of frogs along the way that did not turn into a princess or anything, or a prince, <laughs> um, that are willing to take your money to do things. So it's, I would caution people to get to know that. And <clears throat> There's a service called Black Knight Financial Services out of Florida, and just because you're out of Austin, I looked up and there was a kind of a moratorium on imposed uh, uh, foreclosures because of uh, Hurricane Harvey and Irma. And those things have expired. And now there's, in February, there's 46,700 foreclosure starts in Texas, 52,100 in March, uh, February, March, big months. And now uh, just recently, uh, Two more states um, have opened up. So you'll see more of this topic on foreclosure coming up, um, particularly some of the states that had the bad weather and that they, it, it did slow up quite a bit. But uh, you had a very valuable show, uh, Teresa, and I listened to a lot of your guests and things that you have on there, and uh, I just really commend you for your work on uh, well, looking up the various topics and getting good good speakers. Thank you, Rob. I really appreciate that. and. I appreciate your work as well and really love that you were able to come on Living Wealthy Radio again today. And uh, we will share, uh, I know your website you say is still under uh, construction, you're, you're shifting things and changing things, but we can share an, an email address perhaps if any of our guests would like to or any of our listeners would like to contact you directly. It would be Rob, R-O-B, at the VIPinsider.com. Rob at the VIPinsider.com. And Nick can also find me on, on uh, LinkedIn. On LinkedIn as well. Okay. Well, Rob, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, God bless the work that you're doing. Thank you, Teresa, and you too. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. Download or subscribe to our podcast to hear a new show every week. I am Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com.